Well, like I mentioned, I have just a couple more weeks with you all as your interim pastor. And so in these last two weeks, I thought I would preach about a topic that is meaningful to me, um, something I love to think about and speak about and write about, which is the promises of God and the nature of our Christian hope and the nature of faith. And so this morning, um, I'm reading from the book of Hebrews, um, chapter 11. I'll read verses 1 through 3, and then verses 8 to 16. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And then verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Back in 2016, Billy McFarlane came up with this idea to host an exclusive luxury music festival in the Bahamas in order to promote his music booking app, Fire. Fire Festival would be hosted on a private island once owned by Pablo Escobar. Billy advertised this event where people could fly from Miami on custom VIP configured jets, receive a full VIP treatment including gourmet food produced by world-class chefs, accommodations in luxury eco-friendly domes and villas, and concerts by bands like Blink-182. Some people shelled out up to $12,000 for a weekend pass to what Billy promised would be the most epic music festival ever. 
But when the first jets full of Instagram influencers landed on an island, it quickly became clear that Billy would not be delivering on these promises. Festival attendees were loaded into yellow school buses. They were driven to a camp set up with porta potties and white FEMA tents, those tents that are used as emergency shelters after natural disasters. But this was a different kind of disaster. Instead of gourmet food prepared by world-class chefs, pictures began to circulate of a slice of cold, pale cheese stuck between two pieces of Wonder Bread and a salad with just a slice of tomato stuffed inside white styrofoam boxes. Many people hurried back to the airport as fast as they could, desperate to return to where they had come from. The reality of the fire festival fell abysmally short of what Billy had promised. And so he is rightfully serving prison time for fraud charges related to this festival. Now, we don't know too much about the original audience of this letter, this sermon, actually, that we call Hebrews. But from what we can tell, it seems as though the reality of these people's lives had fallen abysmally short of those promises associated with God's Messiah. The first readers of this letter are a faith community in crisis. They are growing lax in their church attendance. Their commitment to Jesus, the Messiah, is waning. The writer of Hebrews frequently talks about the dangers of falling away or drifting away from the faith. The original readers were drifting away from faith because they had grown impatient with the promises of God. In some ways, they are like those people who showed up to the fire festival. Their present reality has fallen short of what was promised to them. Instead of being given rest in God's presence, they are ridiculed for their faith. Instead of experiencing the victory of God's Messiah, they are socially excluded. Right? Their friends don't invite them out to party anymore. At worst, they are persecuted. It's like they've been promised a gourmet feast only to be served a cold cheese sandwich in a styrofoam box. Or in the terms of this chapter in Hebrews, they have been promised citizenship in a city with a firm foundation built by God, but they're still living in tents as strangers and foreigners in the land. The readers of this letter are the people who have seen the tent city and are tempted to hurry back to the airport, so to speak, to return to where they had come from, where things were easier and life was better. This is the backdrop for what we read this morning. The people reading Hebrews are sojourners. They are tent people. People without a firm place to call home just yet. No longer where they once were, but also not yet settled into their new home. And so they're seeking a homeland, wondering if maybe it wouldn't just be easier to turn around, to go back to the place where they'd come from. Still today, we are sojourners. We are tent people who are undoubtedly meant to live in this world that God created and that God loves. 
but who don't feel like we can settle in just yet. Can't build a foundation for a permanent home just yet. Not now. Not with the way things go around here. Our present reality, too, has fallen short of God's promised future. And so we remain unsettled. We may need just little reminder of this fact when something horrible happens, right? Say something like a global pandemic. Or even in my little town of Drayton, where the community is mourning the tragic loss of a young father. We can't put down our roots just yet. Not in a world so full of suffering. What's maybe less obvious are those areas in our life where we feel like we're sliding back, right? Sliding back into how we used to do things. Those areas of our lives where we feel like we just want to go with the flow of the people around us. Maybe just head back to where we came from for a bit. Because life in a tent is not luxurious, is it? So what's easier for us on the whole? To find contentment with what we have? Or to spend our lives mindlessly trying to accumulate more money, more status symbols, more experiences, even more knowledge, just more of everything? I mean, is it easier in our culture to find our worth and our significance as beloved children of God or in how much interaction our social media posts get? Is it easier for us to sit in silence before God or to constantly distract ourselves with noisy things that grab our attention? Is it easier for us to kind of forget about church on Sunday, especially now, to spend the day kind of doing whatever we want or to show up and turn on the live stream, maybe sing along with some songs at home, or even to come to this very sparsely populated place with these people who maybe you love, <laughs> to sing songs that maybe you like and hear a message that will maybe say something worthwhile. It was God's gift of faith that made us sojourners. Faith has made us tent people. But we're strangers in this place that is marked by sin and death. Tent life isn't glamorous. It's not easy. It's not easy to not be home. And so we might be tempted like the Hebrews were to just slip out of the tent, go back to that lifestyle and those values that kind of just fit in a little better. So what is it, what's keeping us from doing just that? What is it that sustains the faith of a sojourner? Well, the writer of Hebrews points to the history of God's people to answer that question for us. And the answer is that hope sustains the faith of a sojourner. But hope shouldn't be confused with just a merely an optimistic attitude or a kind of 
feel good, positive thinking, emotion. Hope in this text is occasioned by the promises of God. In other words, God stirs up our hope and therefore sustains our faith by giving us glimpses of the future when God's promises will be fully realized. Faith gives shape and substance to our hope. It is the assurance and conviction of things hoped for. And in turn, hope sustains faith. But this is kind of an abstract thing to think about. And so the writer of Hebrews gives us some concrete examples to show how faith assures God's people of what they hope for. And how hope in turn sustains faith. How hope even moves faith to action. In the part we didn't read, Abel and Enoch and Noah are given as examples of this. But then in what we did read, Abraham and Sarah are especially prime examples of how God can stir up hope and so sustain the faith of his people. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he would receive as an inheritance. God's promises to Abraham set his feet in motion. God's promises put him on a journey. God's promises made Abraham a pilgrim. But his journey to the land God promised was actually pretty short. The journey only occupies one verse in Genesis. It says, Abram took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot and all the possessions he had accumulated, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. But even when Abraham arrived in the land that God promised, he didn't settle in just yet. He continues to live as a tent person. He is in the land God promised, but still mobile, still transient to some extent. Hebrews says, By faith he stayed for a long time in the land he'd been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, in other words, the next two generations. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect, whose builder is God. Even though Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob died without receiving the fullness of God's promises, they lived in faith, sustained by hope, because God showed them those promises from a distance, and they greeted those promises by faith. If we were to turn to Genesis 13, we see that God stirs Abram's hope for rest in the land by giving him a glimpse into the future. God says to him, he says, look around from where you are to the north and to the south, the east and the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring would be counted. He says, go, go walk the length and the breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. And so as Abram's feet kick up the dust on the ground, God draws his imagination into the future when his descendants would be countless. Now the casual reader of Hebrews might get the impression that Abraham and Sarah's faith was 
sure and unwavering. But of course, Genesis tells us a more realistic, a more relatable story. Genesis tells a story of an oscillating faith. At times, God's promises sounded too good to be true. And so Abraham and Sarah would settle for a lesser version of those promises. But in the instances where their faith is renewed, it's because God has stepped in and stirred up their hope again by giving them this vision of the fullness of God's promises for them. These visions of the future are why the author of Hebrews says that they looked forward to a city that has foundations, whose architect, whose builder is God. They looked forward to the time when they would trade in their tents for a more permanent home, when they could settle in and put down some roots. This is what the author means when he writes that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all died in faith without having received the promises. They only saw and greeted them from a distance. God stirred their hope in his promises by giving them this picture of the future. By faith, we stay in the land God has promised. We stay in this creation that God has declared good and that God loves. But we don't settle in just yet. If we feel uncomfortable here, it's not because we belong somewhere else, but because this place is not yet what God is making it to be. It is still under the influence of sin, the powers of death. And so we don't settle in because God gives us a vision of his promised future and so stirs up our hope for a better country, for a heavenly country. But to say that our faith is sustained by hope for a heavenly country or heavenly city could be uh, misunderstood or misinterpreted in a couple of ways. First, we might wrongly assume that this heavenly country or city is something that we, that humanity, can realize ourselves, that we can build ourselves by electing the right people and passing the right laws and just generally just being better. You know, if we could just all get on the same page about everything, then we could make this heavenly city a reality. But the author of Hebrews tells us that this is a city that must be built by God. We're just not going to make it happen for ourselves. Second, we might go wrong to assume that this means our hope lies in escaping this world in escaping this creation in order to go off to some far-off ethereal or, quote, heavenly realm. But a vision from the book of Revelation helps us to navigate these two misunderstandings. And this vision might be for us this morning the means by which God stirs our own hope and sustains our faith. In Revelation 21, John writes about seeing a vision of the holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride. And he goes on, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is now among the mortals. He will dwell with them. 
They will be his people and God himself will be with them and he'll wipe every tear from their eye and death will be no more and crying and mourning and pain will be no more for the first order of things has passed. John has this vision of a city whose architect and builder is God, not us, well-intentioned as we are. And it's a city that's coming down from heaven, being joined to earth. And so it's a heavenly city, not first of all because it is morally good, not primarily because it is unlike earth in its substance, but it is a heavenly city because it is where God dwells. This vision helps us to see that we'll remain unsettled tent dwellers until the day that God makes God's own home among us and dwells fully with us. This is the future we hope for. This vision is God's gift to us this morning to stir up our hope, to sustain our faith in the meantime. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech is one very famous example of how God does this, how God stirs up people's hope by giving them a vision of those future promises. At one point in his speech, the familiar line, I have a dream, comes to a climax. And he sees this vision. He says, I have a dream today, a dream that one day every valley will be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low, and the rough places will be made plain, the crooked places made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh will see him together. He says, this is our hope, and this is the faith that I go back to the south with. God stirred his hope and so sustained his faith with this vision of the future. His speech highlights for us the important fact that faith and hope in God's promises do not result in complacency with the way things are. But faith and hope are what move, what propel people to action, to live in light of that hoped-for future. We hope for a future when Christ will return, when the dead will be raised, and God will dwell among us and reign over all the earth. And so God sustains us until that day with these gifts of faith and hope. Even so, we say with the Church of the Ages, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord our God, thank you for this gift of your word. Help us to receive what we've heard and to live in light of your promised future. Stir our hope and sustain our faith until that day when you dwell among us, as you did in the beginning of all things. We pray this in the name of Christ, whose resurrection assures us that this day will come. Amen. <laughs>